0: Our great God and Father, we do want to thank you for what we have sung, that your words are true, that we can trust them. And we thank you that when we do, those words bring us close to you and close to each other. We pray that we might learn that tonight, so that we might live in that closeness and not lose it. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, first, I'm going to read the ninth commandment. Uh, you can find that on Exodus chapter 20. Don't worry, I'll read it to you. It's on the screen. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Why did we all read the commandment? It's only really such a short one, just so we all know we're awake and uh, able to talk. Ready? Steady? You shall not bear false witness Yes, your neighbour. Now we're going to the New Testament and Ephesians chapter four and verse twenty-five. You got this on the Bible and uh, page nine seven eight. Let me read Ephesians chapter four and verses twenty-five to the end. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And let no corrupting word come out of your mouth but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now, two different ways of learning that. One is uh, uh, with uh, Natalie, and the children will be learning that same passage their way, and we're going to be in church learning it our way, and we'll just in a moment for the children to leave. Uh, we'll look at that uh, command together. You probably are the wrong people to ask, but some of you might remember, have you been to a theme park where you get onto the water ride and it's uh, white knuckle stuff and you go through rapids and you get shoved around in your boat, you nearly fall off and you're clinging to the side so you don't fall off. In fact, actually, one child died this year, I think, in one of those water park accidents. But anyway, the water is very choppy. But then you get to the end of the ride and everything is nice and smooth. You're back into calm water again. Ever been on a ride like that? You know what I mean. Well, you might think that it's like that with the Ten Commandments. We've come through the red zone, the really big stuff. And now we're into calmer water in the slightly smaller commands, if I can put it like that. Uh, Small in the sense that we won't land into as much trouble if we bear false witness as we would if we murdered someone or committed adultery. But false witness, well, telling lies, it's no big deal, not as much. At least you might think that. Until you get to the word of the Bible, and you open up the Bible, and you find, uh, maybe it's not quite so simple. So I've written it down for you on the sheet of paper, Romans chapter 1, verse 29, and you see that murder is there. Uh, it says, Paul says, they are full of envy. People who reject God are full of envy They're full of murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, yes, that's all the big stuff, and they are gossips. Right up there with murder. As serious, as big. So maybe we ought to be listening to God's word and seeing that if God has, of all the different things he could have told us not to do, just taken ten things, and this happens to be one of those ten things, then maybe it is more serious than we think. And we should learn what it means not to bear false witness. I want to suggest that it means two things. First, if I talk about not bearing false witness, and we've looked at Romans chapter 129, do not kill trust. Because that's what a false witness does. Now we normally think about false witness in a court of law where someone says something that is not true and the other person ends up in trouble. But it's more than a court of law. We might think this command only covers that scene but the truth is that whenever human beings get together it doesn't have to be in a courtroom it could be a bus stop it could be a cafe it could be the school staff room where this really happens lots wherever people get talking about another person the tendency is to put the other person down and that sad truth is what this command wants us to get real about because the trouble with words is that they bring hell on earth they bring hell on earth because actually the sadnesses that you have experienced i guess are nothing to do with tsunamis natural disasters and famine But the vast majority of human beings across the world suffer because other people tear them down. And uh, speak behind their backs. And so it is not just the courtroom, it is the whole of life that needs people to be careful with what they say. Because the horrible thing about words is you can never take them back once he's spoken to them. Nothing you can do to put it right again. There was a man who once uh, went to uh, uh, a friend of his and was so horribly in what he said that he felt bad about it. And so he went to the wise man outside the village and he said, what shall I do? I've hurt my friend so much. And the wise man said, I'll tell you what to do, buy a bag of feathers, and walk from your house to my house, and for every step that you take, put a feather on the ground. And the so man said, how's that going to help any?" But anyway, because he was a holy man, and he decided that he was going to follow his advice, he eventually got a bag of feathers, and every step of the way, between his house and the, and the holy man's house, he put one feather every step of the way. So he went to the holy man and said, I've done what you told me to do, now what? He said, now go back with your bag and pick up every feather and put it back again. And he said, no, where can I do that? The wind's blown all the feathers away. I can't, I won't be able to find a single one. He said, well, that's what it's like with the words that we speak. They are so dangerous, we'll never get them back again. They will stay in the wind forever. That's a long story. There's a wise American who put it this way, Mark Twain. He said, a lie can go halfway across the world before truth has got its shoes on. Lies spread and you can't ever get them back. They bring hell on earth. Into our lives, into our relationships, and the reason why it's worth talking about hell is because the person who always wants to orchestrate and distrust, the killing of trust, is none other but the devil himself. And so, when you look at on your sheet, John chapter eight, verse forty-four. Jesus speaks and he says you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. And the devil is the one who wants to break trust between people. And you know the best place to start? His first plan is to break your trust with God. He's been doing that right from the word go. If you look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 to 5, aren't I good? That's on your sheet of paper as well. Now have a look. Here's the devil, in a serpent's form, saying to the woman, You will surely not die. Okay, now remember he's the father of lies. This is what he says. For you know that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So the only reason why God doesn't want you to eat that fruit is because he doesn't want you to be wise. He doesn't want you to be like him. don't trust him the devil's lies are to break trust at the highest level in the greatest relationship and the way he will therefore do his greatest work is not out there in here because what happens is that the devil well. The way he gets people getting God wrong is by putting teachers into the church that get God wrong. And he's done it all the time. So if you want to go back into the past and look at the old part of the Bible, you can see it there, Jeremiah chapter 23, 25, 27. Here are people who really sound like they've got the hotline to God, okay? This is, hey, I can tell you about God because we've got it personal, God and me. Okay, here's how it goes. I have heard what the prophets have said. Who prophesy lies in my name saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. I've got the hotline to God, you see. I get God speaking to me in dreams. How long shall be there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell each other even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal that's how it worked in the Old Testament let me tell you nothing absolutely nothing has changed. So you come into the world in the New Testament and you get the Apostle Paul and what does the Apostle Paul do? He gets church leaders together and he tells them Acts chapter 20 verses 29 and 30 there on the page Paul says I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw disciples after them. You see how shocking that is? That the world of lies that then creates a world of lies actually is in the church. Not in the law courts. Not anywhere else. I think it's really important for us to understand that because we tend to think a church is a church is a church. Let me tell you that there's always been, right from the start, those who will tell you what God is like from the Bible and those who will tell you what God is right like, maybe claiming to say it from the Bible, but actually they tell you what comes off the top of their head. And the idea is the killing of trust. And that happens, not just in the law court, it happens in church, it happens at the bus stop, it happens everywhere. Now, how do we step into a different world? Let me tell you. Here's my second point. Having gone through uh, uh, the breaking of trust that God wants to avoid, we now go to the building of trust and the building up of love. In this area, becoming a Christian is like putting on new clothes. I guess every married bloke here knows this. You know how it is. You you go to your wardrobe and uh, you get your your shirt. And you put it on. You come downstairs. You've had a look in the mirror. You think everything's hunky-dory. And what does she say when you get into the kitchen to see her? She says... uh, haven't you got another shirt? But it's your favorite shirt. And today was going to be another day when you could wear your favorite shirt. And she says, you are not going out of this house dressed like that. <clears throat> now, you, it's your favorite shirt. You didn't think that anybody would notice the hole that's under the arm. <laughs> But promising to keep your arm down doesn't change anything you've got to go back upstairs and put a new shirt on and so you come downstairs with a new shirt next time you go and you look for the old shirt and it's just not there anymore yeah I live a very sad life but actually There's value there, because that's what being a Christian is like. It's a whole new person. It's a whole new change of wardrobe. And the first thing to go out of the wardrobe, if you look at verse 25 of chapter 4, is falsehood. And we don't want to wear the old life anymore and the reason we don't want to wear the old life anymore is because uh, of uh, verse 25 at the end we are members of one another guys Christians are joined like this we are one body it's a big deal if you look at this chapter between verses 3 to 7 And the whole stress there is about how God makes us one and you see chapter 4 and verses 3 to 7 but maybe I don't read it to you but you can see it there's one body one spirit all called to one hope one Lord one faith everything's one okay so you become a Christian and you're one body now the reason why we don't lie to each other is because that's crazy isn't it for one part of the body to try and tell a lie to another part of the body why would you want to do that? It's like the eye telling the foot, hey you're safe, when there's a snake coming towards you, you won't want to do that because you're going to suffer. And so that oneness is what we want to live in and enjoy together. And you see that happening In verse 29 of chapter 4, Therefore let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. It's to do with bringing people together. And therefore, when we have reason to complain or criticise each other because we get it wrong, there's a whole new way of handling that and I think it's got two parts to it in this passage rather than go and talk to someone else and character assassinate the person who's done you wrong the first thing that we do is forgive look at the last verse Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 be kind to one another tender-hearted Forgiving one another. My friends, everyone in this room has been wronged by someone else. Guaranteed. My friends, if you are a Christian person, there is only one reaction you are allowed if someone does you wrong. And that is to forgive. Forgive. And the way that works out in practice, when you get angry and you feel that anger towards the person who has hurt you, the first conversation you go and have is not with someone else to say how bad they were. The first conversation you have is with God himself. And you go to him not to deny the pain that you feel but to process it through him to pour it out to him and say God this is what was this is this is what's happened this is how I now feel because of what has happened to me he's your father pour your heart out to him do not deny what someone else has done to you But go to him about it. But at the same time, when you go to him about that, also do not deny the fact that we have wronged him. And we repay again the great forgiveness that he has shown us. My friends, we deserve hell. And yet, as verse 32 says, as God in Christ has forgiven you, now forgive one another. I know it's hard, but try it. It is the most healthy, wholesome uh, uh, experience you can have. Let me tell you how attractive it is, because you probably won't believe me until I tell you how it really works out. Let me tell you about my friend James. James is a missionary in Nigeria. He loved Nigerians and so therefore he went out to explain about Jesus to Nigerians because a lot of Nigerians have got Jesus wrong. Talk about Jesus a lot and get him wrong a lot. So James is there to teach other people. Now there were a group of guys who broke into the compound and they weren't Christians, they weren't angry with what James was doing, they just wanted to rob his house and so when James opened the door, they shot him in the face. And while he was lying there in a pool of blood, his wife thought that he was dead, they raped her. Now, some of you might have met James and Barbara at Revive when we were there two weeks ago, they were there too. Now, what would you have thought if that was you? If you were devastated, if your wife was raped? If you were a wife, would you forgive them for what they did to your husband? If you were a husband, would you forgive what they did to their wives? What they did to your wife? But James did. He had the conversation with God. He did not deny the hurt that. He felt, and continued to feel, because he actually needed 20 further operations before his face, which is even now half-blown away, could work properly. But he spoke to God about it, and he understood how much God had forgiven him, and he forgave the Nigerians, and now he's there three times a year, still spending time loving Nigerians. I explain the gospel that is the beauty of forgiveness that is the change it brings it eats you up if there's any other option that we choose apart from forgiveness forgiveness can grow trust back again the second conversation we then have remember the way it normally works is that you Uh, don't like me and therefore you go and talk to him. But here's the next conversation. We learn how to talk to each other. But talk to the other person about what they've done, not in a way that verbally smacks them in the mouth, but in a way that helps them. Now, Jesus actually said it brilliantly in Matthew chapter 18 and in verse 15. I didn't stick it down on your piece of paper. I won't ask you to go there and look. I'll go down there and read, okay? But I'm reading Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. You might just want to scribble it on the piece of paper as an admission on my part. Um, And... um, this is what Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 says. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained a brother. So the delight is to go and say, my friend, what he did the other day. I don't know if you realize it, but it was really cutting, those words. Now look, for me, seriously, don't worry about me, I forgive me for that, it's not the issue, it's not why I'm here, but I would love you to grow in your ability to build people up through what you say. Please, can I encourage you that way? As you can see that picture is about bringing somebody along with you rather than pushing them down the steps so you get to hurt them the way that they got to hurt you it is to gain a brother you might say now you're cheating you just told us to keep Ephesians chapter 4 open in front of us now you're taking us into Matthew chapter 18 no, it's actually there in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 where Paul says we didn't read it earlier, uh, but uh, Paul uh, says uh, in uh, uh, verse uh, 15, Speak the truth in love. I see how both ingredients are present. Uh, So often we can go heavy on the truth and I'll tell you what exactly is wrong with you and the end result of that conversation is somebody feels got at. Other conversations are so sickly sweet and we are so nice to people we never say anything to help them to change. We leave them exactly where they are to go and do the same thing again. That's not great either. It's not going to help them up, is it? But what we want to do is to speak the truth in love. So what is there in the middle of Christian oneness and unity is this call to relate to each other in, in that painful way of exposing truth, where we have to, but leave people knowing that we're doing it for their sakes. not to get something off our chest. We leave people knowing that we love them very much. That's the only reason why we want to make a difference. You see the difference between firing torpedoes at somebody to sink them and coming alongside with lifeboats to help them to come up again and so we speak the truth in love we build each other up we don't tear trust we build up trust because the person who's been dealt with like that will trust you whatever they thought of you in the past now what can we learn from that let's see that we can learn three things first if you happen to be near to Christianity let me tell you I would be very surprised I don't know you at all but I wouldn't be surprised if you know exactly what uh, Paul is talking about in um, in verse 31 because my guess is you are familiar with this world that we're living in whichever country we live in. This world where there is bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour. You know what that world's like, don't you? You've lived in it. It's hurt you. Isn't it attractive to come out of that world and the Bible, the God of the Bible opens up the door to you to step into a new kingdom a new kingdom where there is a different way of relating to people uh, look, don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about the superficial friendliness you might get in a, in a kind of formal church where you smile and you say good morning at the start and you sing your songs and you say goodbye at the end, and that's not real friendship or closeness, is it? No, I mean the real relationship that is desperately one and concerned to keep that unity in careful choice of words and in the way that we want to, to bring people into the likeness of Jesus wouldn't you want to step into a a new world like that out of the old world of verse 31 that's what the Bible is just encouraging you to do today come into the kingdom of Jesus ask him to be your king not so that he'll then put you into a world where there are much nicer people but where he will put you into a world where you are changed to be more like him. Take the invitation. Come. What happens if you've been around church circles a lot and uh, you know what it's like. You've been to more Sunday services than almost. You've had hot dinners and And what happens you have a wonderful praise and worship time and you sing your praise to God and you know all the lingo and you get the words right and you say Amen in just the right place and praise the Lord in just the right place and you go through all that and you know your stuff and then you come out and you find out that um, well the gossip starts and people accuse each other, and if there's no one within earshot, everybody's in earshot to accuse, but the pastor's not there, so you can say some fairly right things about him. My friends, isn't it worth noticing that as we come out of God and worshipping Him, but actually criticize the people that we have been spending that time with, is it worth noticing in verse 30 in verse 30 that grieving the holy spirit is in the section of people talking badly of one another as james would say i think this quote is in your uh, little handout um Uh, No one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father in the praise and worship time, and with it we curse men in the after-worship time. But men who be made in the likeness of God, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Now it is easy, isn't it, for uh, us to uh, find... Uh, the worst form of uh, criticism and (coughs) uh, discouragement within the church family sometimes where formal religion reigns but love doesn't but there is a third lesson and I think it's a lesson that would be wonderfully right for the person who's a real believer here And that is to see in verse 32 the new life that God calls us to be in oneness with each other. Verse 32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's the whole point. God has dealt with you like this. Look, be like him in your forgiveness that you bring to others. Be like him. Satan was bang off the mark, telling lies when he said in Genesis chapter 3, God doesn't want you to be like him. Don't eat this fruit because then you will become like God and God doesn't want that. No, the reality that God is, right from the very beginning, he made man in his image. He always wanted us to be like him. It's the devil that wants to get us to do things that make us not like him. And he says, be like him. As God relates to people in kindness, in grace, in generosity, in forgiveness, relate in that way as well. So when people hurt you, forgive. The first conversation is with God, no one else. And when people hurt you, help them. Second so a conversation with them. And therefore, uh, we have uh, uh, this uh, opportunity. And my friends, it's more than an opportunity. This is the new life that God gives because you see in uh, verse uh, 30, that the Holy Spirit Has sealed you. If you are a disciple of Jesus, it means the Holy Spirit has put his seal on you. It means that you now belong to him. That means that he will change you. Because his seal is there. This is the new life that we are to live. And so, my friends, as we look at the ninth commandment, let's not think it's small fry this will be huge in our church and it is what will make this church a jewel in a community where there is verse 31 bitterness, wrath, anger, clamour and slander along with all malice that's beckendry Wouldn't it be lovely to have a new world where people walk in through the door and there are those folk in verse 32, being kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Wouldn't it be great if this was Free Church on the Becantree Estate? I'd like to pray that it will be, God will make it that way. And I want uh, perhaps in a moment to let you uh, talk to God your own way about where people might have hurt you and you might need to ask God to help you to forgive. But maybe more honestly where you remember where you have hurt other people and you need to ask God to forgive. And let's pray for God's help to be one with each other deep love. Let's pray. Just one minute, and then I'll pray together at the end. up. let me pray, to get, pray for all of us before we take questions. Our Great Father, we want to apologise that uh, we come out of a world where there is so much uh, bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander, and we confess that so much of the work can so easily get into us. And we want to pray, Lord, that we might be your kingdom people so different. And to that end, we pray that you help us to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Lord, it is so easy to fake that transformation. But please seal us by your Holy Spirit, that it may be his deep, miraculous work in our lives. And we pray that for the glory of Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.